have to confess to you today that I have always been a sucker for the Christmas season because at least in my mind, it brings to the forefront of my brain those lofty virtues of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And don't we need that at the time that we are living in now? As a child, this holiday represented a time to me of unselfish giving. When I listened to the uplifting music of sleigh bells ringing in Christmas caroling and the warm image of chestnuts roasting on an open fire on a cold winter's night, I felt warm in my heart. I felt a little bit happier, a little bit more excited about just being alive. Now, I do know the history of Christmas's origins, how it has pagan roots and myths associated with Santa Claus and reindeer that fly and little elves laboring all year long to make toys for children across the globe. Say, is that forced labor? I understand full well that Christmas is a man-made holiday that now focuses more on commercial profits than the spirit of giving. And the truth is, there is no command or ordinance in the Bible that tells us that we should celebrate the birth of Christ. But neither does its celebration violate any other biblical principle as long as it's put in its proper perspective. After all, the joy of Christmas does stem from the gift of giving. You're listening to Unity Without Compromise with your host, Dr. Steve Latulip. Today, I just want to share some thoughts with you about Christmas. I know there are many people who are conflicted about uh, whether or not we should even celebrate Christmas, and that includes Christians and non-Christians. And for one reason or another, a lot of people think that we might not uh, be better off celebrating Christmas. But the, the real important question to answer here is, what does the Bible really say about it? Or what does it not say about Christmas? That's crucial. Well, here's a little history on the origins of Christmas. Uh, for the first thing, we need to understand that Jesus' birthday really is uncertain. But likely, the Savior was born in springtime, not in winter. However, by history, the Roman historian Sextus Julius Africanus, who lived from AD 160 to 240, actually calculated Jesus' birth date to be December 25th. And that was in the early third century AD. And this date was accepted. And ever since that time, the date has stuck. And people celebrate Christmas on December 25th. Now, if you go back to the fourth century, when Rome accepted Christianity as its state religion under the first Christian Roman emperor, Constantine, uh, we learned that the former pagan holidays, and there were two of them, Saturnalia, which was an agricultural god uh, named Saturn, who was celebrated, and another Sol Invictus, who was the god of the unconquered sun. 
It was actually a Syrian cult adopted later by Rome. But when Constantine came into power and was converted to Christianity, he decided to replace Saturnalia and Sol Invictus by the Feast of the Nativity. And ever since that time, Christmas has been celebrated pretty much around the entire world. Yes, it does have pagan roots, and that's where it comes from. Those two pagan holidays were done away with, and they were, in a sense, transformed and replaced by a celebration of the birth of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. The question is, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Should we be celebrating Christmas or should we not be celebrating Christmas? The inspiration for the name of Santa Claus actually came from old Saint Nick or Nicholas of Myra. He was a designated saint in the Catholic Church. And of course, we know that the Bible states very clearly that all Christians who are saved by the blood of Christ are saints. In fact, they are called in the Greek hoi hagioi, and that means the holy ones, or those who are set apart for a very specific purpose, and that is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, Santa Claus, or old Saint Nick, was a generous soul who by tradition would go out on a, an evening in the winter and leave gifts for children in their shoes that were left out at night near the fireplace so that the shoes would die. St. Nicholas Day is actually commonly celebrated in Europe and Eastern Asia countries on December 6th, not December 25th. The Christmas tree, that originated actually in ancient Egypt and Rome the evergreens were symbolically used in winter to remind the people of the coming of new life as soon as winter passed. It gave us kind of a symbol of hope, I guess, if I picture myself being in that situation. In the very dead of winter, when everything is dreary and gloomy, dark and cold, the days are shorter, and you had the evergreens decorating your home, it kind of Lifted the spirit a little bit. And that, I suppose, could be a good thing for people because we all need something to look forward to. Well, the Christmas tree actually um, goes back to the 16th century and it is attributed to the Germans. The Germans were credited with actually starting the actual classic. Christmas tree tradition as we know it today. Martin Luther, who was the Protestant reformer, was actually believed to have placed lighted candles on a tree, and hence we have the decoration of the Christmas tree. Now, when the German settlers came to America, they settled primarily in the region of Pennsylvania, and they brought with them to America this tradition of putting up a Christmas tree and decorating it. Well, as you know, in early America, we had a lot of Puritans around that time, and it didn't go over too well with the Puritans who considered such, quote, pagan practices, end quote, to be an abomination. They argued 
that it was detracting from the sacred birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and that is the same exact problem that people stumble over Christmas with um, nowadays. Uh, people who think that the Christmas tree and the holiday decorations are somehow obscuring the meaning of the birth of Jesus Christ. For some, that's a reason to not celebrate Christmas. After all, it did originate from pagan ideas, and so is the claim. In fact, if you go back to the General Court of Massachusetts in 1659, you would find that that General Court actually declared all such holiday decor, including the Christmas tree and like decorations, to be a punishable offense. Yes, you could go to jail for putting up a Christmas tree in the 1600s. And it really wasn't until the 19th century that the Christmas trees and ornaments actually became an accepted part of the American Christmas tradition. In modern times, we do know that Christmas has been celebrated the world over, pretty much in every country. And in our increasingly mobile society, Christmas actually became a time when families who lived far apart or even near would gather to celebrate the joy of the season of giving. And a lot of people have many fond memories from gathering at Christmas, getting together to celebrate, to get caught up with one another's lives, to enjoy good food and a happy holiday season a time when people felt good about doing good things and about just sharing their lives with one another. I have all kinds of fond memories of Christmas. Not that everything was perfect, not that there were, was no conflict in our lives at that time. But for me, it just seemed like a little pause where we could put aside all the grief, all the weariness from whatever struggles we were going through. And we just took time to enjoy each other's company in a really special way. Well, we don't have many Puritans in America any longer, but what we do have is a whole lot of misguided Christians who really don't understand what the Bible really teaches about such things as the celebration of Christmas or the birth of Christ. Well, here it is, folks. The real truth is that the Bible says absolutely nothing about celebrating Christmas. Now, you'd never believe that, but if you read through the Bible, you really get very little information about Christmas or the actual birth of Christ. In fact, if you want to look at the Bible to find what we are commanded to celebrate or to practice, we actually have only two what we could call biblical ordinances or commands or injunctions. And the first one actually is baptism, and that's by immersion. And the second is the Lord's Supper, that is celebrating the death of Christ. Sorry, Catholics, there really are no mention of, of any holy days of obligation in the New Testament. Now, there were former Jewish holidays 
and they were required to be celebrated. They were the weeks, the Day of Atonement, the Passover, and a few others. But that was under the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, not the New Covenant or the New Testament. And so Christians are actually under no obligation to celebrate any of the Jewish holidays or any other specific special days. Now, there's a lot of other teachings in the Bible and other commands such as to pray and to fellowship and to study the scripture and to make disciples and so forth. But when it comes to actual ordinances of something that we should practice as a church, as a, a universal church, we only have the commands to be baptized and the command to celebrate the Lord's Supper. See, the Bible is absolutely silent about celebrating the birth of Christ. There is no command whatsoever in the Old Testament, of course, or the New Testament to celebrate or have a birthday party for Jesus. There are no words that say, do this in remembrance of me. None whatsoever. And why is that? Well, likely because if we celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ, then it would detract from the real significance of the death and resurrection of the Savior of the world. That is the culminating moment in human history when Christ died on the cross and was buried and on the third day rose from the dead. That was the very moment in history that we had victory over sin and victory over death, which results from sin. Now, that is something to celebrate. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells us that very thing. But we have to really consider this, and I think we need to consider it very strongly. When the Bible is actually silent on an issue, then perhaps we do should be silent about it. Otherwise, we risk causing division in the family of God. We start fights in the family. And that's something we should seek to avoid whenever possible. We need to have unity in the essentials, in those things that God does command us to do. But we also need to realize that we should not compromise on any essentials, whereas we should be gracious, perhaps, if the Bible is actually silent. Is there any harm in recognizing Christ's birth? Because, you know, just recently, I've seen on some social platforms, some well-intended Christians stating that um, Saturnalia is where Christianity um, became corrupted with when we decided to celebrate Christmas. Now, is that true? And is there really any harm in recognizing the birth of Christ? Well, I don't see why anyone would say that. What is wrong with saying, I am so happy that Jesus Christ came into the world, God coming in the flesh, taking on human form to redeem us, the sinners who need a savior. Now, I don't see any harm in that. But should we make that a test of fellowship? No, we shouldn't, because the Bible doesn't say a thing about it.
Now think about it. Just think about the present times. Would you feel better saying Merry Christmas? Or do you want to go along with the narrative and just say, Happy Holidays? Let's take Christ out of Christmas. Whereas other Christians say we need to keep Christ in Christmas. Well, the word Christmas means Christ's birth. And the latter statement, Happy Holidays, is actually intended to disavow Jesus Christ to take away any recognition of the Messiah. So it's a religious issue. It's a bone of contention because Christianity is one of many different faiths, many different religions. Well, what about Easter? Aren't we supposed to celebrate that? That's another holiday, right? Well, yes, actually, the Bible does speak about that. And we are told in a certain way to celebrate it, but not in the way that most people think. There is no ordinance or command to celebrate Easter because we know that Easter also has some pagan origins, right? With the Easter bunny and fertility gods and so forth. But actually, we are told to celebrate Easter when we talk about baptism. Baptism at the time of conversion is something that is taught loud and clear in the Bible. And it begins actually with Jesus' words before he ascended to the Father when he told us to go and make disciples. And how did he say to do that? To baptize them, first of all, and then to teach them all things that he has commanded us. And so Jesus actually gave the commandment to baptize. And, and if we go to the one history book of the New Testament, that is the book of Acts, and we read at the time of Pentecost, when the Jews were actually gathered together from the Mediterranean world in Jerusalem to celebrate that very important time, uh, we see that Peter preached the first Christian sermon, and after the people present heard it, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. And then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's pretty straightforward, but what we see here is a one-time celebration of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, sort of a celebration of Easter, right? We read this elsewhere in the Bible. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we read, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So that's kind of an Easter celebration, isn't it? But it's a one-time thing at the time of our conversion to Christianity. In a very real sense, it is a giving of one's life to the Lord Jesus Christ at conversion. It is the day that we decide to become students of the God, disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. I think that's pretty celebration, and we are commanded to it.
The other, as I'd stated earlier, was the Lord's Supper. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read that when Jesus was at the table with his disciples, he broke bread and he said, take this, eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That cup was wine of grape juice. And he said, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we're commanded to do, what we're doing is kind of celebrating Easter. It is a celebration of the greatest gift bestowed to mankind, a payment for our sins and an offering of the gift of eternal life. And unlike baptism, which is a one-time Easter celebration, if you will, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, as we do this, we break the bread and drink from the cup. It is to remember what the Lord or Jesus Christ did for our lives. We celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection. And historically, in the church, they gathered on the first day of the week, and they broke bread. They celebrated Easter on a weekly basis. So we have baptism, a one-time celebration of Easter, and the Lord's Supper is often as you do this. Let's be specific about that. The Bible doesn't say we must celebrate this every Lord's day, it says as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Obviously, remembering the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection was a very important thing and is a very important thing to keep in the central focus of our minds because that is the entire theme of Christianity. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Here we have two biblical commands, and many Christians actually tend to ignore these or play them down or argue them away, saying, oh, they're not necessary, they're not essential. But then some of these same people will insist on celebrating Christmas, and they will put up the signs, keep Christ in Christmas. Remember the blessings of Christmas. It's interesting, isn't it? And it is so important to understand what the Bible says. And what the Bible says about Christmas is really not that much. In fact, it's nothing with regard to a command. But let's get back to the Christmas story since tis the season to be jolly. The Christmas story has been called by some the greatest story ever told, and it actually begins with the birth of Christ. So to reiterate, nowhere in Scripture, nowhere are we commanded to celebrate Jesus's birth. We are, in fact, told very little about his birth. In fact, the only places that we actually find any details of it are in two Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Matthew was written to the Jews. Luke, who was a physician, actually wrote in great detail and in a very personal way. And if we were to look 
look at, at those passages, for example, Luke 2, 7 actually gives us the only real account of what happened. It says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. And that's it. That is it, folks. There's no other details given other than he, where he was located in Bethlehem. We have that story. But the actual birth, we don't know very much about it. And I think that is intentional. We do have other facts. We are told, for example, that Mary conceived as a virgin. She conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit. She was, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And yes, Jesus was actually visited by some shepherds shortly after the birth. And sometime later, probably months later, by magi or wise men who were from the east, and they actually visited Jesus when he was in a house. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. The Magi were never there at the manger scene, even though you see that. When you see all of the, the manger scenes that you can buy, you will see the wise men there. But I tell you, they were not there. They were not present at Christ's birth. Well, it's an interesting thing to consider. And I really do. Sorry for people who have suffered during times of Christmas and have bad memories about things that happened to them. It's, a, it's something that shouldn't be. And I really do feel bad for Christians who feel that we are somehow betraying God. We are to put up a Christmas tree and decorate the house with lights and the tree with ones and perhaps to buy a few gifts for, for our loved ones. Um, is there really any harm in that? You know, we need to settle this, perhaps, so that we can get on with living, which is so very important to all of us. I'm going to take a little break and be right back and then talk a little bit more about the Christmas story. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, Taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Here's to wishing you all the joy of the season, my fellow Americans. Well, it was the American crooner Bing Crosby 
who said, unless we make Christmas an occasion to share our blessings, all the snow in Alaska won't make it white. From all of us here at America Out Loud, may the warmth of the season embrace you and yours. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. Welcome back. This is Dr. Steve Latulip on Unity Without Compromise. My show actually records at 12 and 5. It plays at 12 and 5 Eastern Time on Saturdays and Sundays, and then goes to podcast. I also write weekly articles that appear on AmericaOutloud.com, the website for America Out Loud, and I cover a good variety of topics dealing with unity and always without compromise. But back to the topic of Christmas. Should we or shouldn't we celebrate it? Should we enjoy it? Is it something that can be good or is it bad? There's a lot of views on this. There's a lot of confusion about this. Almost like the coronavirus uh, pandemic. So much confusion and perhaps some fear. I mean, don't some people actually dread the Christmas season? Well, the important thing to know is that we do have some liberty in choosing to celebrate or to not celebrate Christmas. And we need to resolve in our minds to not put a stumbling block in our brother's way. And there is no greater chapter in the Bible that clarifies this fact than Romans chapter 14 which begins, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Now, in that chapter, we are told a lot of different things about what people judge each other on, things that that we should eat or not eat, or the day that we should celebrate or not celebrate. We see in verse 5, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. What does that mean? It means that if you feel that you want to worship on the Lord's day, as they did in the first century, that's good and that's okay. If you want to celebrate on the Sabbath day, which is an Old Testament norm, a day of rest, then that's good and that's okay. And if you wouldn't want to celebrate Christ every day and gather daily, that's okay. The Bible says, don't make an issue of it. And so it is when we consider one day above another, for example, Christmas. For some people, Christmas is a very spiritual and holy day, and they believe that it must be celebrated. But Romans 14 says, no, it does not have to be celebrated, so don't make an issue of it. We have liberty in Christ, and we needn't make an issue of it one way or another. It doesn't matter what your views are. 
about Christmas. It really doesn't matter. And remember that if you wish to be dogmatic about celebrating Christmas or not celebrating Christmas, then you are the weaker brother, according to Romans 14, verse 1. And the rest of us Christians are told to receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. So if the Bible is silent about something and we want to dispute it and argue about it and make an issue of it, make it a test of fellowship or brotherhood, then we are causing our brother to stumble and we are acting as an infant, as a spiritual baby in Christ. Because he who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. So we can be convinced in our own minds, but we cannot try to force it upon anybody else one way or another. And that's called having liberty. We live in the New Testament under the law of liberty, and liberty is the gift of the freedom to choose. And that was given to us by God about certain things. If we go to verses 10 through 13, we are told that we should not judge each other in these questionable things things. When we are discussing the inessential things, as God calls the observance of one day over another, we need to give the gift of grace to one another. God will judge our hearts, and that's the important thing. We need to avoid all forms of spiritual abuse. And most forms of spiritual abuse come in the form of religious legalism. You must do this. You cannot do that. Remember, that was the whole purpose of the, the whole purpose of the old covenant was to simply show us that we could not observe those 613 laws under the Torah, the laws of Moses. We couldn't do it. And so if we try to impose these laws of you must do this and you can't do that, specifically when the Bible says don't do that, then we are the ones who are spiritually abusing others. And because of spiritual abuse, let me tell you, in my medical practice, I cannot tell you how many times I saw people who suffered, who hated Christianity simply because of this kind of abuse. And so God says, stop it, don't do it. This is probably the number one cause of people rejecting Christianity. And that is our dogmatism of things that should not be dogma. When we come to disputes over doubtful things, we have to realize where those disputes come from, where they stem from, and that is pride. And pride is the most deadly of all sins. So maybe because of all the isolation um, that I've seen due to the COVID pandemic response, I suddenly have right now 
a somewhat newfound interest in the joy of Christmas. And I think it's just because it is, at least in its roots of the Christian tradition, it's supposed to be a time of giving and sharing and bringing people together. And maybe because of the joys of the holiday season that were brought to me in my past, I get a warm feeling about Christmas. And let me tell you, in a time like ours right now, we need some joy. Not everyone has joyous memories of the Christmas past, and I realize that. But it doesn't mean that you can't even start something new. There is nothing wrong spreading goodwill toward men and peace on earth. Of course, not everyone can afford the commercialism of Christmas, and that's not where it's at. I was a physician making great money at one time, and now that's all been taken from me. Things have changed drastically. And I thank God that it's not about money. It's not about buying hundreds of gifts for everyone and expensive gifts, because when we focus on the material things, it robs us of the true blessing of the giving that counts the most. First of all, you know that you can't give what you don't have. And unfortunately, too many people try to do that. They go into serious debt, feeling a compulsion to have to give all kinds of material gifts to their children. You don't need to do that. And you shouldn't do that. You should be responsible. And the second thing we need to keep in mind that giving should always stem from the heart, from that goodwill toward men and not from greed, like we see on Black Friday. Remember all the great deals we have on Black Friday where shoppers practically and sometimes actually do kill themselves to get to the best deals before someone else does. Now, that's not the spirit of Christmas, is it? It's not consistent at all with the spirit of giving. And now we even have pre-Black Friday deals this is getting downright crazy. And some people will protest that and say, wait a minute, let's keep Christ in Christmas. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all. But the concept of families actually gathering and sharing their lives together on special occasions, that needs to be brought back. Family is important. Friends are important. And some Sometimes friends are the only family that we have, just as it was for me in the military days when I was overseas or when I was stationed somewhere apart from all my family. And because of my military responsibilities, I could not get home. And so our military friends became our family. But that was a good family to be with. Christmas has always been about families and friends gathering, at least until Corona Mania began in 2020, with all its lockdowns and social distancing, and until vaccine mandates started dividing so many families, as Dr. Fauci now seeks to cause again this Christmas season. We need to realize that this destruction of families and religious holidays is all a part of the plan to destroy America, a Christian nation. And we shouldn't allow it to happen. 
good can and must prevail over evil. And right now at a time when so many people are focusing on preparing even to survive the possible worst times, and it could happen, we need to remind ourselves that hoarding and taking in abundance to the deprivation of others is not healthy for our neighbors. It is not healthy for our own souls. While Christmas is nothing more than a man-made holiday tradition, many people still regard it as a season of giving and goodwill. And that is okay. It is not evil. It is a good intent of the heart. And the Lord looks at the heart. We need to get back to some basic principles of good, giving instead of taking being the first on the list. Sadly, a great many people have only given out of their abundance of wealth and not from their own treasures. They lose the blessing of giving by doing this. You know, we can look back at a time when the Israelites were determined to do a great work for God by building the temple. And in Exodus uh, 36, we read about the Israelites giving so generously of their wealth that was derived from their work that Moses actually had to command them to stop giving. We have enough, he said. We have all that we need. You don't need to give anymore. Now, what an awesome problem that would be to have, wouldn't it? If we gave in that way, think of what the world would be like. And since we're talking about the Christmas story, we often forget about a man who is kind of left on the back burner, and that is Joseph. Joseph was the stepfather of Jesus. Joseph was betrothed to Mary at the time when Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now, initially, Joseph didn't know that. And because Joseph was such a righteous man, he did not take his rightly prerogative of having Mary stoned to death for what he thought was infidelity. He could have actually exacted the penalty for a presumed adultery, and that penalty was death. But rather, he decided in his heart to put Mary away quietly, to leave her and to just let it ride. And then God announced to him through a messenger, an angel, saying that Mary actually had conceived by the Holy Spirit. This was an act of God. And Joseph, Joseph actually yielded to that, and he further stayed celibate. He did not have any sexual relations with Mary until after Mary gave birth. And then Joseph named Jesus the name Jesus because he was commanded to do so. And he did that all joyfully. And we know that Jesus had other brothers and at least one sister because the Bible speaks of that. But Joseph is a fine example, a biblical lesson on giving. 
we also have many other good lessons from the Bible on giving. One that we should really give heed to is something that the Apostle Paul stated in Acts 20, verse 35. And this shows up nowhere else in the Bible. Paul states, and he's quoting Jesus, he said, Jesus told him, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's a lesson that the Apostle Paul never forgot. And in fact, if we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 through 26, we see where Paul says, for to me is to live and to die as Christ. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, rather. And when we live for Christ, then we are willing to make sacrifices and to give. Well, Paul then goes on to say that he chose to stay and be with the Philippians and other Christians for their sake. He said, I'll stick it out rather than depart and be with the Lord. Rather than taking the easy way out, because Paul was given a vision and he had a good glimpse, a behind the curtain scene of what the afterlife was going to entail. And he was eager to get there. He was eager to depart and be with the Lord on the very day that he would die. Well, sacrificial giving is the most meaningful giving that you can do. So if you give out of your abundance with the right motive, it's a very good thing. But if you give out of your need with the right intent, then that's a very, very special kind of giving. And we see that in Luke chapter 21, when we read about a widow who, as opposed to others who were giving in great abundance, a widow gave only two mites, just a few pennies. But she gave it out of her poverty, out of her absolute need, and she gave everything she had. Now, giving out of one's need is the most precious gift anyone can give. And that is in contrast to the rich farmer. In Luke chapter 12, we read of a farmer who hoarded everything. He was storing up treasures in his barns, building more so that he could eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of his life. He hoarded everything, and very tough lesson, he died shortly after that. We have uh, all kinds of people, all kinds of good Americans who give on a regular basis. And I am proud to be an American because of that very fact. For example, President Trump gave his salary each year as president of the United States. Now, was that sacrificial giving? Well, not likely. Trump is very, very wealthy, even though he lost a great deal of wealth in the course of serving as president of the United States. But his giving was ceremonial. He gave to make a statement, I believe, and to prove a point. And that point was, I care for you people enough to do this without any pay. Now, that's the right kind of giving. Yes, Trump was very wealthy, 
but he recognized in his wealth that money isn't enough. There is something more precious than possessions in this life. And that's what Christmas is about. President Trump, Trump gave away salary as a token of sincerity about being president for the right reasons. Now compare that to Joe Biden. Well, I don't know that Joe Biden has given anything in his life other than giving us a lot of trouble, but it goes to show you the contrast. Giving for the right reason counts an awful lot. Yes, Americans as a whole are very generous people. And when we have donated our time and our money, we have done a good thing. America has been prided by many other nations for having a very good work ethic, at least at one time. We were proud to give our best for the sake of someone else. Now, can we still say that? Well, yes, we can for some, but we have a lot of slovenly people who want to be lazy and do nothing and to receive and to continue receiving while giving nothing back. That is not a part of being an American, and it most certainly is not the spirit of Christian giving. You know, giving may not always be appreciated. And if you are a giver, you probably know that sometimes you can even be punished for giving your very best. That happened to me once as a doctor. I recall in Salem Hospital one evening, and I had a patient in labor, and I was called in to make a delivery, and I was the only doctor in the house that night in the obstetrics department at Salem Hospital. And I had a patient who was in active labor, and she was pushing, and she delivered the head of the baby, and the baby's head got stuck. The shoulders were stuck behind the pelvis. That's called a shoulder dystocia, and that is an emergency. Now, there was nobody else in the department to help me, and so I was on my own. And because I trained and studied and learned and practiced how to deliver a baby in this emergency, I succeeded in delivering that baby. But do you know that that incident was the one time that I was threatened lawsuit. This patient tried to sue me because the baby had a little bit of what's called an herbs palsy. It's paralysis of the arm and it derives from that sh shoulder being stuck, not from the delivery or the maneuvers that I performed to deliver that baby. And of course the baby recovered fully and I was not sued, but that was the thanks I got for saving that baby's life. No, giving your best can sometimes be rewarded with a slap in the face or worse. Sometimes it's just simply not recognized or not acknowledged. And maybe it could be by choice. In fact, aren't we not told that when we give, we shouldn't give like the heathens do or like the Pharisees or scribes do, where they give in their abundance in public to make them look good. God says, when you do it, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. In other words, give in privacy. Don't do it to tout yourself, because if you do, you have your reward. But if you do it silently, 
without drawing attention to yourself, then God says, look, I will never forget it. I mean, we may forget we may forget all the details of anything that we gave, but the Lord will not forget a single thing. And he says, I will reward you for that kind of giving. And we need only to look to the Savior himself, to Jesus Christ. Remember the greatest verse in all of Scripture, the most well-known verse of Scripture, John 3, 16, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that's some kind of giving. The father gave the son and the son went willingly on our behalf to pay the price for sin that we could not pay or repay. You know, there's a lot of myths about giving too. I've already talked a little about giving out of abundance as it's, uh, a mean, not nearly as meaningful as giving out of our own need. It simply is not as meaningful, which means that we receive a lesser blessing when we give out of our abundance. Another myth about giving is that all giving is good. No, it's not. Sometimes people give gifts to bribe. I am sure that we have gifts of bribery given to every department of our government right now. And Fauci is apparently the king of bribes. Some people give gifts only to seek praise, to be honored and adored by men. And that's the wrong kind of giving. That is not a good giving. Some people give just to one-up somebody else just to beat them out of something, of giving. Again, pride is what motivates people to give in that way. Other people give simply to control a person. Well, I did this for you and therefore you owe me. You owe me, you're indebted to me for the rest of your life. Now, if you give with that kind of giving, you would be better off to not give or the recipient would be better off to never have received such a binding, shackling gift. And other people that give in a bad way is to win their favor of someone else for selfish reasons. These are all bad gifts, no matter what's been given in whatever amount and for whatever the reason or the cause. All giving is not good. There's another myth in giving, and that's in marriage and in life. We're told in marriage that we need to give to one another, to submit ourselves to one another in marriage. But a lot of people put their focus on giving only to a certain point. That is, it's a 50-50 kind of agreement. And 50-50 giving is not the best model for giving at all. It sets you up for failure by keeping score, and it leads to bitterness and resentment. A marriage is strongest when both partners give their best, 100%. That's good giving. Material giving is all that counts? No. Giving of the heart is the greatest gift you can give. Greater love has no one than this, than to lend, lay down his life for his friends. That's what we are told in scripture. Soldiers understand this kind of giving. Well, Christmas season is a gift-giving season. I'm not sure 
yet if it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas this year. But when all is said and done, the spirit of Christmas is really just an attitude of the heart. So please don't get too caught up in the particulars of Christmas. Don't let it stress you financially or otherwise. Give of yourself from the heart. Give a good word. That's still the most precious gift anyone can give. And in the crazy times we're living under, a little Christmas cheer could go a long way right now. Remember that God judges the intent of our hearts, not what day we celebrate or don't celebrate. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I hope you see God in this Christmas season. You see, life is about relationships, and relationships are built on giving. And giving from the heart is based on love for others. A good gift is a token of love from one heart to another. That's what I like about the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of giving. Imagine what the world would be like if focused more on giving than on taking. There'd be fewer needs, perhaps no wars. There would be much less hunger and a whole lot more kindness in this world. What a wonderful world it would be. And a wonderful world is appreciated more by givers than those who receive. I mean, receiving is a gift in need if you truly have a need and you're blessed by it, but it's still better to give than to receive. Christmas is a man-made tradition that can serve as a yearly reminder that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's practice the gift of giving. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip on Unity Without Compromise. I wish you all the very merriest of Christmases. Rejoice and celebrate the birth of Christ. And remember that giving shouldn't end at the stop of the Christmas season. See you next week. Adieu.